with Air Cargo World. My name is Kathy Morrow Robertson, and I contribute a weekly column for Air Cargo World where I focus on a variety of topics such as express small parcel providers, e-commerce and technology, freight forwarding, and more. So today I'd like to welcome Charles Brewer, Chief Operating Officer for Canada Post. Charles, welcome to the podcast. Um, if you don't mind, could you tell us just a wee bit about yourself before we jump in? For sure, Kathy, and uh, uh, delighted to be with you. And uh, thanks for asking me. It's very kind of you. It makes me feel wanted, which is a nice thing. Um, so, yeah, so just uh, for your listeners and, and some will know me, some won't. Uh, so my name's Charles, English by birth. Been in logistics for about 35 years. Um, been to about 111 countries now. So I like to refer to myself as as the international man of mystery, love, <laughs> love, love logistics. And uh, I'm still trying to convince people, but some get it, some don't. Logistics is sexy, super sexy. And uh, e-commerce is, is probably the sexiest part of it. So uh, love that space. So I, I agree wholeheartedly. You've been around, golly bum, 35 years and yeah. around the world. Oh my word. Okay, you've been around a little bit longer than me. I think I've been in the space for about 21 years now. Uh, thank you, UPS, for giving me that opportunity. Absolutely. <laughs> so we met on social media, I believe, and we've been carrying on a Twitter and LinkedIn conversations for a few years now. Yeah. So, and, and I've always considered you one of the top experts when it comes to e-commerce logistics. And I really appreciate you joining us because... That's going to be the topic of our conversation is e-commerce and its importance to the logistics space, no matter where you are around the world. So with that, okay, so last year, we uh, the COVID pandemic hit and we saw a lot of retailers, other businesses, including manufacturers, uh, begin to invest more in the whole e-commerce space. But is the growth of e-commerce, is it here to stay in your opinion? Yeah, great question, Kathy. And um, yeah, I should have mentioned in the introduction. So presently, I'm the, the chief operating officer for Canada Post and been here about a year and a half. So we're all the way through that pandemic and um, didn't envisage that happening when I came across in February last year. Um, and prior to that, I was with DHL for 35 years. And um, you know, I think DHL has been involved in e-commerce for a long time, but formally recognizing it maybe seven or eight years ago. Um, as a distinct channel so and it has been it's probably the most exciting thing to hit the logistics sector certainly in my mind when I joined the most exciting thing hitting logistics when I first started out uh, 35 years ago was the transition from documents to parcels that in the express industry and you, you're, you're from UPS so you'll remember that that was fascinating watching us go from having little Ford Fiesta vans running around delivering hundreds and hundreds of documents to moving to packages and parcels and having tra I remember the first transit coming into DHL and thinking what what on earth do we need that for um so you know but that is a, that's a, that's why I think we all love logistics it's always changing there's always different things going on and to your point Kathy so you know, the, it's, it is a zillion dollar question, how much of the e-commerce uh, switch? So yeah, you've got sort of three different um, drivers of the e-commerce growth. You've got um, people that were never online in the first place. So people that are never shopped online, bizarrely. Um, and we, so we have a lot of new online shoppers. Uh, you have the second category, which is um, a little bit like my wife, who's an Olympian Olympic shop, shopper, um, was already shopping online and just accelerated her spend. 
<laughs> through COVID. Me too. <laughs> I can relate. Uh, yeah. so, so you got that sort of category, which is people doing more of what they were doing already. And then the third category, which is probably the one that's probably most interesting, is that um, those are already online but weren't shopping in all categories. Um, and so, you know, whoever knew that we needed a cucumber delivered same day, same hour. Um, but apparently that's a necessity. Um, so, and, and it's interesting using my wife as a market survey of one, um, she never used to um, buy groceries online because she likes to go and feel the cucumber, the mm-hmm. lettuce, the tomato, mm-hmm. and whatever else. But now she does. And the question to your question, will she go back? I, and we were chatting about this only yesterday and I was chatting to the McKinsey team actually this morning on the same subject. I think that you know, this is my Charles Brewer's view and um, um, you know, just, just my opinion, but I think as countries start to open up and we really look forward to that day and we were just chatting about it now in terms of the US, Kathy, and I'm delighted for you, but Canada's still very much in lockdown. But as countries do start to open up, I think you'll see an initial surge of people wanting to go back and experience that retail experience, see people, touch a cucumber, whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think you'll see an initial surge, but I do think um, that the accelerated and amplified shift to online um, shopping that we've seen here in Canada, as as we've seen anywhere else, a lot of that is going to stick. A lot of that is going to stick. People will, you know, along with many other things, will question more than they did before. Do I want to spend my time driving to the mall, finding a parking space, wandering around a shopping mall to go and buy things that I can do online so easily, um, or will I stay online? And I think, so, uh, and just to sort of bring that to sort of numbers. Uh, at the height of wave one um, you know, here in Canada, we were seeing you know, more than 90% growth year on year. Uh, so this back in sort of April, May last year, we were yeah. seeing 90% growth. And we were saying, oh, well, by, you know, by after peak, it'll, it'll quieten down. Well, we're still seeing 35, 45%. So we're, and if you, if you think about it, April last year, we were already in wave one. So to see, you know, 15 to 20% growth on top of that, 40 or 50% growth we were seeing in April last year is a significant CAGA growth year on year. So my humble opinion, Kathy, to answer your question succinctly, I don't think people will reverse back uh, on this activity or many others. Some will, no question, but many won't. And just one last comment on it. The other side of this coin is, and again, almost bizarrely, and we've seen this in Canada, is that many of the sort of smaller mid-sized uh, shops and brands and retailers weren't overly invested in online yeah. um, and they have had to become overly invested in online omni-channel and other areas uh, along you know whether it be the website or omni-channel or curbside pickup whatever um, so they've had to overly invest and, and they're not going to go back because they recognize this new channel now that's going to create lots of value for them and and our responsibility as Canada Post is is twofold the Canadian consumer making sure we do everything to satisfy or threefold making sure we do everything to satisfy them second one is um uh, Canada stronger, stronger Canada delivered is helping Canadian brands and companies get back on their feet on the other side of this. So everything we can do to help a small and mid-size uh, shop or retailer, retailer get uh, back on their feet. And thirdly, is the health and safety of both our employees and customers. And so, yes, yeah, succinctly, I think no that that um, you yeah, know these these changes are here for good. And um, yeah, what was already a rapid growing space is only going to accelerate faster. That was a really long answer to a short question. I'm sorry. 
But it was fascinating. No, 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 you did very well. Thank you. No, it's great because it really goes, it goes into the next question I had. And we, we talked about it a, a little bit before I hit that infamous record button. And, and it's the logistics providers, the transportation providers. And, and, you know, since we're talking on behalf of Air Cargo World, the airspace. Is there a place for air within e-commerce? And if there is, is it profitable? How can, yeah. how can air providers make it profitable? Well, I think your second question is probably perhaps even more, the more interesting one. So first and foremost, that, and we've seen this over the last year, and I, again, in my opinion, uh, it isn't going to change anytime soon. And that is that demand is far, far, far greater than supply at the moment on every category, domestic, international, cross-border, air, ground, rail, sea, in, in almost every category, um, you know, that demand far outstrips supply, which is why we're seeing you know, unbelievable and record reporting of results from some of the big integrators and others mm -hmm. because they've, able, they've been able to capitalize on the infrastructure they have on the back of that surging demand. So there's no question that um, there is a demand for all of the above. Um, and then secondly, you know, in, in many of sort of air cargo freight forwarding discussions, I get asked, is there a space for, for e-commerce to be a player in that, in that industry? And the answer is absolutely categorically yes. And just to give one example of that, if you look at sort of cross-border e-commerce, so, and people, by the way, when they shop now, they don't shop cross-border, they just shop. <laughs> a lot of what they shop for comes out of Asia, China. So 40, I think it's something like 48% of all um, cross-border volume comes out of China. Interestingly, 80% of what comes out of China is valued at less than $20. Things like bobble hats for Newcastle. I'm exactly. exactly. Um, yeah. But anyway, there's a lot of volume that comes out of China. Um, and uh, there's this growing, um, there's two things I think are really relevant for your listeners, which is one is um, destination fulfillment. So a lot of big sellers out of um, China and, and other countries, UK direct to consumer, US direct to consumer are not looking to do individual shipment selling. They want to aggregate that volume, send it to a Canada as an example, um, place it in a fulfillment center, something like SEI, uh, who's a great company in Canada, place it in their fulfillment centers uh, in Canada, and then pull from that inventory as and when the order comes through so that the order is a shorter distance than ordering from, from, from China or from the UK or from the US or from France or wherever it may be. So that bulk movement um, is either an opportunity for ocean or more likely air because of time. So those replenishment shipments and the original orders can travel on, on an air freight border environment or air cargo environment. So that's one huge opportunity. <clears throat> and the second opportunity is that um, if you look at global volumes that move around the world from an e-commerce perspective, the bulk of volume moves postal. So I think it's 80 or 85% of Everything that moves around the world moves postal because it's easy, uh, duty and VAT, customs clearance, blah, blah, blah. So uh, low value goods. So about 80 or 85% uh, moves uh, postal. Then you have about 10% of it moves integrator express. Um, so for high value goods, need it super fast with all the uh, value adds that come with the uh, integrator shipping. That moves on an express basis. And then there's this 
you know, 10% of what we call hybrid volume. And this is the, one of the fastest growing segments in global cross-border volumes, which is not as fast as express, but much faster than postal. Two to three day type shipping. It's called hybrid. Um, and that moves for the most part uh, via air. In fact, if you just look at some of the most recent announcements with SF and others who are getting into this space uh, okay. with ACMI agreements, they're flying into Russia, they're flying into Poland, they're flying into um, Holland, then distributing across Europe from a hub uh, in Europe. That gives them a two to three day, maybe four day footprint. Um, which is faster than postal, obviously, and, and not as fast and certainly not as expensive as integrator. So I think if I was, if I was uh, one of your listeners in that space, I'd be focusing on those two areas. One is how can I be a partner to, to complement direct-to-consumer and or big tech brand um, um, sellers who are looking to place product in destination? And the second opportunity is this rapid and fast-growing hybrid space. And then to your last point on profitability, that's, that's, that's tough. It's tough for everybody. Um, you know, and it's tough because the big sellers, the people that sort of control the volume, they control the price and they, they're commoditizing that in some space, some respects and or doing it themselves. So uh, I was on a call yesterday with a few other uh, forwarders and cargo carriers, and they were saying exactly this, that um, it's, it's marginalizing the profit within or the price point within that. So I think it's a little bit tougher, but not impossible. Okay. Yeah. The rates are going up clear across the board for shippers. I mean, it doesn't matter what mode of transportation. Yeah. Um, I mean, you've got ships backed up in the Trans-Pacific waiting to unload at, well, LA and Los Angeles. I mean, Long Beach. Um, same's going on various other ports. Um, just trying to find the right capacity for the right time. In, uh, it's interesting. And I know this is, this is an aside question kind of a follow-up is the passenger airlines you know a lot of we lost so much of that capacity last year and it's building back up for a number of them but a lot of them realized oh my gosh look there's money to be made in cargo after all seems to no longer be like the redheaded stepchild Mm -hmm. uh, for them and it seems to be a focus on them growing cargo you think there's possibilities there for e-commerce um yes um i know i i don't mean to put you on the spot there no, no it's fine it's no it's fine it's, it's good good question kathy so so it leads to that um supply challenge so you know belly bellies of commercial aircraft yeah. is used historically in the logistics sector all around the world to move loose load or bags or um belly load type um product um, and with the, with aircraft not flying, that definitely played its part in creating that crunch on supply, um, and that played into the hands of, to your point, of prices going up from other carriers who had supply. So it's, you know definitely has moved the needle from that perspective. And again, as I mentioned earlier, we see that in integrated results um, mm-hmm. you know, across the board. To the point, though, I think um, and it's not it's not an area I'm, ex- I'm an expert in, but yeah, I'm not either. I was just <laughs> no, 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 too dangerous. And and again, just on this call I was having yesterday, that um, you know, this this the two or three other people who do play in this space were saying that the you know, the commercial airlines have recognised that they almost have to at the moment um, mm. to get asset utilisation. So, um, so that's the second point. Third point is, have to be honest. Um, in my thirty five years, I've not seen tremendously successful scalable models where you're using passenger converted aircraft for 
express slash e-commerce yeah. product it doesn't seem to be a perfect fit particularly when you're flying passengers too ma- mainly because of departure times arrival times fitting into the network of a logistics infrastructure Amazing. it hasn't i've never seen it work and but that's not to say it can't work i just haven't witnessed it myself so i guess it's a space that will will develop yeah yeah i mean it'll be interesting to watch i mean particularly uh with the likes of amazon you know utilizing air domestically uh, here in the U.S., also doing it domestically in Europe through their uh, yeah. their partnerships. I mean, they're not passenger airlines, but just watching them, what they're doing from the domestic perspective, kind of led to that. Well, why can't passenger airlines kind of jump in yeah. here? But yeah, they, 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 I mean, I think again, I'm, I don't, you know, I don't work for Amazon, but I do know that some of the aircraft they have are, are passenger conversions. And again, yeah. one of the conversations we were having yesterday is there are only so many places in the world that actually offer conversion um uh, facilities so it's it's quite a quite an quite a, a unique space um to operate in but yeah yeah so interesting yeah yeah so um you know one of my areas of interest has excuse me has been last mile been writing about that for a while and you know ups's earnings came out this week and you know speaking of the total volume uh characteristics you know how they've always tried to keep it even between B to C and B to B. And then last year it just skewed. I think it was a little over 70% uh, during the first half of last year and then settled around 70% towards the end of the year. It's actually dropped a bit uh, after the first quarter earnings. It's now a 60 40 mix, uh, which I found very interesting. That was just their first quarter figures. And they noted B to B e commerce is growing. They noticed a particular trend upwards in March, uh, which I thought was very interesting. And I've always said, that's the market to be on the lookout for. Mm. And um, when that happens, the impact I would imagine would be even more profound, I guess, for lack of a better description, within the the logistics space versus the whole B2C movement. I don't know if I'm off here or not, but I don't know your thoughts on the B2B. Um, yeah, so I think both UPS and DHL have been pretty vocal just recently on B2B to C. So most things end up at yeah. C. Um, so you can argue, <laughs> you can argue what is really B2C and what is B2B to C. But, um, but um, no, I think both have, both have suggested that that's a big opportunity for them going forward. And yeah, I would echo that. I think it's... Um, yeah. it's, it's it is a great space um, for them and others to think about us too, actually. Um, so it is a great space for them to play. In. I think the other, the other thing about UPS and, and last mile in general is that, um, you know, we were chatting a bit about this before we got on, but, uh, um, you know, bigger, not better, well, better, not bigger. Yeah. <laughs> I would say like, you get it right. Uh, better, not bigger. What a great strategy. I, I think that's, and that's a little bit, again, COVID has been horrific and, and, hit so many people's lives so i don't wish to diminish it in any way shape or form but it's also it has also made i think the logistics sector and others many others i'm sure sort of think about what is the growth strategy what are what are we trying to do and uh, you know there's lots of you know there's a, a meme out there that says what created digitalization and covid19 as well but it's true you know covid19 has has forced i think many companies to think about things like who are the right customers, customer segmentation, mm-hmm. customer pricing. So, you know, e-commerce, when it first sort of really took off maybe five, six, seven years ago, 
and the players that were creating the volume in that space were seen as a godsend for postal operators and logistics operators. Maybe they weren't such a godsend that um, perhaps we all thought seven or eight years ago. And I definitely think COVID-19, if not before, but definitely COVID-19 has helped many companies sort of work out, well, who, who is the right customer for our model? Um, who do we want to serve uh, going forward? What types of product? Do we want to be delivering deck chairs and barbecue sets or nice two kilo pop packages? So I think it has made many sit up, but I, again, to your point, I think UPS have done that um, remarkably well. Um, and you see that in their share price, which is just astounding. So, oh my gosh, yeah. Yeah, so, so it's fantastic. But, it, but many other things too, I mean, not just the customer side. So, you know, again, from Canada Post perspective, and go back to the comment I made earlier, you know, we're all about sort of satisfying Canadians. And that's about, yeah, how do we do that? We do that by uh, creating the right capacity um, uh, and the right service for, for Canadians. So COVID, uh, certainly in the early part of last year when we were growing it, there was one day in May last year where, um, I think it was around the 26th, where we delivered the volume that we had forecasted to deliver in 2029. And we did that on the same infrastructure uh, that we had pre-COVID. We did that on the, with all of the physical distancing, with the wave one and wave two routes. We didn't have too many delivery drivers and facilities. We did that with the absenteeism that COVID created, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but it, 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 and we had great plans going out sort of seven, eight, nine years around automation and telematics and dynamic routing and robotics <laughs> and AI and AR and everything else. We had all these wonderful, wonderful plans. But they kind of go to pot when you, you grow up 90% in, in the space of a few weeks. So, you know, I'm sure like many other of your listeners, we're, we're spending a lot of our time now um, accelerating that and, and yeah, yeah. assessing what is scalable and can be used to, again, around those sort of three key areas, what, what keeps our people really healthy and safe, you know, what creates the right service, which is capacity and automation, et cetera. And then what keeps, uh, creates a happy consumer and customer, you know, what, so we're spending a lot of time there. So I think, again, like I said earlier, COVID has definitely um, been, been horrific for many, but it has also had its, and I use the word lightly in inverted commas upside, which is, it's accelerated some of our thinking. And, and in the last mile space to your question, things like greening, I think has become far more relevant than yeah. it was uh, maybe pre-COVID. So how do we deliver into Montreal and Toronto and others going forward, I think is far more of an acute discussion today than it was maybe a year and a half ago. Totally agree. Totally agree. Um, okay. Our time is running short here. So um, I'm so sad. It was lovely. I am too. I am too. Charles, thank you so much. This is, you're going to have to join us again. I mean, anytime, Kathy. That, that, that's definitely, uh, yeah, definitely need to have you back again because there's so many more questions that um, I'd love to get your opinion on. But um, thank you uh, for joining us for this one. Uh, it was great fun. I've learned, a, I always learn a lot from you. So, um, and for our listeners, thank you so much for, um, for listening in. Really appreciate it. Uh, and also, for everyone out there listening, be sure to check the Air Cargo World website uh, for more podcasts. There's there's quite a few more and, and the articles. And don't forget my weekly column as well. Uh, and be sure to sign up for the daily newsletter also. So with thank that, you, Kathy. And uh, thank I'll just you. say to you, lovely to see you again and to speak to you. 
Um, please stay safe. And to your listeners at Air Cargo World, thanks for listening. Always feel free to reach out to me if I can answer any questions. Happy to do so. Thank you so much. All right.